Millions of frontline workers keep our economy running and are provided with the latest technology to do their jobs. But digital adoption, especially by frontline workers, is really hard. This is Frontline Innovators. We explore how to overcome challenges and achieve success when we empower our essential workers. I'm Justin Lake. And I'm Gene Signorini. Together, we speak with experts who are leading the way and driving digital transformation to the front line. This podcast is sponsored by Skillful on a mission to help frontline workers learn and use the technology needed to succeed in their jobs. I'm your host, Justin Lake, and excited about another fantastic episode that we're going to have today. Today's guest is the Director of Business Transformation, Organizational Change Management at the Clorox Company. Please welcome Karen Froome. Hello, Karen. Hey, how are you doing? Excited to be here today. Thank you so much for joining. This has been a long time uh, in the works. We've uh, had our prep call a couple of months back, and um, you were traversing across the country, so I'm glad you're back (laughs) and situated again as things are up in the Midwest. And um, really looking forward to having our conversation today. So let's let's kick it off as we do for for every episode. And I'd like to get your take on what you think is the biggest challenge you see facing the deskless workforce today. Well, you know, being an extrovert that I am, I think one of the challenges is that human connection and finding ways to connect with people, um, you know, virtually and just making sure that you're having those uh, personal conversations. You know, I think I miss the hallway conversation. I miss the water cooler chats and um, standing at the microwave, heating up my lunch, (laughs) you know, talking to other people that I may not normally see. So I think, you know, how do we stay connected and share um, you know, a little bit of a, a personal aspect of ourselves with each other when we're in this virtual environment. Yeah. And, um, I, and I do try to spend time. I, I started with a new company. I've never, I have never met my coworkers. I've never met my boss in person. I haven't met any of my coworkers face-to-face. And um, I do feel after eight months now of being in this new company that I have built relationships with them. And it, but you have to kind of offer up things about yourself you know, in the beginning, five minutes before the meeting starts and people are joining, you know, just to kind of share a little personal tidbit or ask someone a question about their their background or their dog that might be sitting on the, <laughs> the couch next to them or whatever the case is. So I think it's important to try to make time to do that, you know, in this virtual environment. I think that's, it's really interesting you talk about making time because I, I do feel like there's been no shortage of interaction with other humans during the pandemic. We've been on countless Zoom and, and Teams calls and everything like that. Um, but it is very scheduled and kind of rigid, right? You go, I, I don't know if your schedule is anything like mine, but it seems like I go from 30 or 60 minute Teams call, Teams call, Teams call, Teams call throughout the entire day. And yeah. so while we're having a lot more interaction with people, there's a, a, a lot less of just that unplanned, casual conversation back and forth that I think is so important for relationship building. Is that what you're seeing as well? Yeah, I agree. I think um, when the pandemic first started, I was leading a team of about, um, well, I had a team of about 60 people, I think, on a large ERP project. And um, we started using our team site to really just ask, every day I would post a personal question, you know, like, tell me about your favorite teacher in grade school, or, you know, what TV show did you most, you know, recently watch that you recommend? And we got the engagement of the whole team, you know, on those questions. And it was a question every day. I did it for a year, a new question every day for a year. (laughs) Finally, towards the end, I was getting a little, you know, running a little dry. So I would ask my team members for ideas, but um, it was a great 
great way for us to keep in touch, you know, um, when we were all going through this, you know, pandemic together and working remotely and getting to share a little more about ourselves so that in that next meeting you had with that person, you could be like, hey, I saw that you posted, you know, um, you love Arrested Development or whatever the case is. <laughs> that's going to date me. I know it's been out for a while, but, um, you know, it, it gave a it gave a good conversation starter, you know, for those little minutes that you have. I agree in between those back to back meetings. Yeah. I watched Arrested Development long after it. I think it was already off the air. I just rewatched it, uh, it recently myself. <laughs> yeah, it was good. <laughs> All right, favorite. so let's um let's give everybody a little bit of of understanding of who you are and and how you uh, came to be the professional that you are today. So take us through a little bit of your background and how did you end up in in a change management role. Yeah. Well, I like to tell people I'm the daughter of a banker and a music teacher and uh, my entire dad's family, they're all teachers. So I grew up with that background, but my mother was a banker who worked her way up from the mailroom all the way to become a executive in a mortgage, uh, a mortgage company. And so I, I like to think that I married those two jobs together and I started out in corporate training. So it was always a I remember when I was 17, I sat in a um, orientation class at a bank that my mom was at. And I, that summer I was her administrative assistant in her bank. And I watched the woman who did the orientation and I thought, wow, I really love that. She was real upbeat, you know, and friendly. And, um, and I saw this like corporate training job that I had never known existed and I fell in love with it. And, um, even, you know, at a young age of 17, I kind of knew that's what I wanted to do. And through college and things, I, I uh, volunteered to do multiple training classes for nonprofits. And I ended up in the nonprofit world for a while and doing um, a lot of um, outreach, you know, volunteer recruitment, outreach, public speaking. I think one year I worked for the Central Illinois Food Bank. I gave probably 40 speeches in a year to different community groups um, from anywhere from the Junior Women's League to the Lions Club, you know, and so yeah. I would, uh, you know, different audiences, just totally different, the Rotary Club, you know, which was all at that time, older men, you know, to the Junior League, which was all the, you know, up and coming women. And I learned, I think at that point, how to, how to target your audience, you know, and give a message for the right audience. Um, so I worked in training, a corporate training for the first probably 10 to 15 years of my career. And um, I think the pivotal point for me was when I was with Huntington Bank, um, a local regional bank here in Ohio and central uh, in the Midwest. Um, and I was doing, I was managing their retail training organization, um, but I also took over the communications team. And at that moment, I realized the connection that we had between training and communications, right? That they um, really, it, it was, uh, you could use the same resources to do the same work, but you could also um, leverage communications before you get people into training to really help them understand what they're going to learn. And that's when the light bulb kind of went off. And there wasn't a thing, change management had existed then, but it was not really, you know, not something by title people, necessarily. Yeah. Right. And people, this was back in 2000, early 2000. And, um, and um, yes, there were people out there, I'm sure, that have have a change management title at that point, but that was new for me. Um, and so I realized that, you know, this was a really good combination of, um, you know, using the resources differently from a training team perspective to make them more strategic, you know, and how could we leverage that? Um, I, we did one of the first um, kind of a, a C, it was a CD that we we created that had like the annual report, the latest financials and um, like banking, business banking initiatives that we mailed out. We literally mailed it you know, to all the branch managers in this bank and they got to see the, the um, 
head of retail banking, you know, give a speech. They got to open up the links to the, you know, reports. And it was kind of a, um, like a communications uh, dossier, you know, uh, um, packet that, you know, was kind of all combined. So as I looked at doing that, I'm like, wow, this is really interesting. This, this helps take training um, up a notch, you know, from just being a just in time kind of thing to being a more strategic way to communicate information. And um, <clears throat> next thing I know, I was doing change management <laughs> without yeah. the title, you know. <laughs> That's fascinating. You know, one of the things you you mentioned is as you kind of went through that history was your involvement in nonprofits and um, you know outreach um, to, to donors and just the, the community. And it, it's very similar to it, it's essentially a form of sales and marketing. And, and one of the things I've learned through this podcast is that so much of of change management is also sales and marketing, right? We're, we're trying to help people understand what's coming. We're trying to persuade them. There's, there's some art of persuasion in that. So to, to hear you talk about that journey, um, and to learn the different techniques from those variety of experiences to turn you into the professional that you are today, it, it actually makes perfect sense that you'd end up doing what you're doing today. You know, it's funny. I hadn't really thought about it like that until until we started talking. But the um, you're right. You know, my goal was to get people to volunteer to open up boxes of food from you know that were sent in from the grocery stores and sort them. And sometimes they had mice in them, and <laughs> they weren't always a fun. It wasn't a fun. It was a dirty job, right? Yeah. But um, going to these different groups, right? They all had an, a different appeal. You know, the Girl Scout groups might want to do it for badge, you know, earning badges, and the Women's uh, League might want to do it for the recognition for the community, you know, whatever it may be, but it was, um, I was learning how to kind of target my audience and my communications to those audiences. And, um, and you're right. I think a lot of what we do in change is a sales job a bit. And, you know, we put a lot of spin on communications, <laughs> you know, we have to, we have to sell it to the right people. And sometimes you're selling things that aren't necessarily a benefit, but you have to explain why, you know, the organization's doing something differently. And um, so, yeah, I could totally see that. Yeah. That we're kind of sales and marketing professionals as well. I read an article uh, recently, and I think you and I may have talked about this when we did our prep call about um, the, the fact that we, we say that consumer technology, or we, th- we often think that consumer technology is just so intuitive and easy to understand that we all just pick up our iPhone or pick up Netflix and we just start using that stuff. And this article that I read really reminded me that companies like Apple spend literally billions of dollars in advertising, kind of also known as change management, right? To communicate to us about the new features that are coming out and why it's important to us and why we would want to have the new iPhone 13 and upgrade from the iPhone 12 that we just got a year ago. And um, there's a lot of the same techniques when you really take a step back, we call them different things. We call it advertising uh, versus change management and communication. And we don't reference ad card when we're talking about, you know, Apple's media spend, but it's, it's actually, there are a lot of similarities between that. We're, we're trying to take somebody from a current state to a future state and understand, you know, why they'd want to traverse that journey. And um, so I, 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 I don't think it's a bad thing that we think of it as a, some level of art of persuasion, but I, I do think that that's a little bit about what change management is really about. Yeah, I, I do recall, um, I would have, I had a 
an executive at one of my last companies that he was, he would joke and say, don't change, manage me. Like he knew I was, <laughs> when I was trying to sell something to him or a benefit, and he's like, yeah. stop change managing me. I know what you're doing. <laughs> and I always thought it was funny, but you're right. I think, um, you know, it is funny. I started, I'm a big Facebook user. I have to admit, I love social media and I know Facebook's kind of on, you know, on the, on the dying edge now, maybe yeah. a little more as my son would tell me. Yeah. Um, but when, when Facebook was really big, I would watch them come out with new releases and change things. And I would be so, I would cringe because they would never have a change approach. Right. And they would just, if you recall back in the, you know, even like 2008, 2009, when they would start rolling things out, you would all of a sudden you're like, Oh, this is a new timeline. Or they rolled out that paper version. If you remember that no change management whatsoever. And I think they didn't, they didn't think they needed it. And then finally, I noticed about, I don't know, five years later, they started advertising for change, like a change professional. And so you you can kind of see that evolution of companies realizing that, oh, you know, our, your, our product can be great. Like Apple has a great product, but they, they can't just roll it out and expect people to use it. Yeah. You know, how do you sell? And Apple, I think, is a great example of doing it right, where Facebook, I think, you know, didn't do it right for many years. And then they finally got it. <laughs> you know, the, the light bulb went off. I, I literally just got a new Mac last week and uh, it, uh, you know, it was upgraded to the latest version of Mac OS and I'm usually stubborn and I just get right into a new computer and I don't look at any of the, here's what's new kind of information. And I realized I'm shortchanging myself when I do that because I'm probably missing some features and, and we all think of Apple or many of us think of Apple as uh, just naturally very intuitive, but um, I, I don't know. So, some of the features are a little bit hidden once you've used them, you're like, oh, that's so easy. But um, had I not spent five minutes and gone through that, like, here's what's new uh, little tutorial that they gave me, I would have missed out on some pretty cool new features that are available in this OS. And it, it just made me think back to exactly what you're talking about. We, there are so many opportunities for us, for that experience to be improved with technology. And we're talking about massive digital transformation initiatives inside large enterprise. We, we need to look at the consumer markets for some some tips about how we can do that and be more effective because uh, the best in class companies like the ones that we're talking about have really got that pretty well dialed in and so it doesn't just mean that i just open up my apple laptop and everything just works as we often say it means that they've taken a lot of time to really think through how they get us to a point where we believe that things are that intuitive yeah yeah i agree and i think the other uh, misconception is that we expect that people will just gravitate to the new shiny things and that's why change is so important because even if you have a you know a flip phone today and you're looking at an iPhone, yeah, that iPhone can be the smartphone can be great, but you're used to and you're comfortable with that iPhone or the flip phone, you don't have you don't see the need to change. And maybe those features aren't what drives you to change. So I right. think that's where we have to come in. Even if it's something that they have today that's worse, it's still a change that people are resisting. Um, you know, you think about that in your life, whatever it may be. Um, you know, I, I want to keep, I want to change my car insurance, but it just seems like a pain to find a new company, you know? So I'm just going to keep going with what I have because, you know, it's just easier. So, you know, I, I think that's why we're here. That's why we, <laughs> that's why companies invest in teams like ours, you know? For sure. I have, I've had that experience recently. Uh, I'm a big user of Evernote. I'm sure some people in our audience are familiar with Evernote. I've been using it for probably 10 years. I've got 12,000 notes or something crazy in my Evernote environment. So like I'm deeply committed to this platform. And probably about a year or two ago, they, they must have hired a new CTO or, or somebody new on their dev team. 
that just insists on changing things in the user interface about every two weeks. It's driving me completely insane. If any of you are listening to this podcast, please stop doing this because um, this is a, an application that's deeply ingrained in my workflow day in and day out. And they're just moving things around the UI. And I'm sure some designers sitting down thinking about, hey, new users will really appreciate this and it may be more intuitive for the new users that are coming into the environment. For, but for me, moving these things around is like torturing my, my daily workflow. But what, so, if, what if they approached you and they said, hey, this is our roadmap, you know, and here's over the six months, this is what we're gonna be adding, these great new features that you're gonna be able to leverage. You know, that may make you feel a little better about what's happening. <laughs> potentially. And, and it's possible that maybe they're trying to reach out to me and maybe I haven't seen those communications or maybe I've ignored them. I, I admit I might be ignoring those emails. Um, and so, it, you know, I am I may be a, an example of a bad end user on, <laughs> on the receiving end of this change. But it does as you know, I during when I'm not podcasting, I have a software company. And I think about these experiences that we have as, as consumers of that technology. And then I think about the changes that we're making and the speed at which we're making them. And, you know, one of our other podcast guests, uh, Doug Icorn, said a, a great point. Uh, he's from Whole Foods and, and he made the point that just because we're building software in an agile format and we're advocating for releases, you know, every sprint, every two to three weeks, it doesn't mean that we need to expose the users to that frequency of change. It's okay sometimes for us to hold back some of those releases. So let's not, but we can keep the dev team productive and efficient and all those other things that come with agile, but we don't necessarily need to expose the users to all of that change all the time because it can be overwhelming. Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's where, you know, the concept, I, I use the concept that I like to think of as a funnel. So mm -hmm. if you think about, um, the top of the funnel being the broad concepts or the benefits of what the change is. And then as you go down the funnel, you get more specific, right? More detailed about the tactical wins. What's the timeline of these changes? What's the actual content of these changes? Then you get people to training, right? To learn what the changes are. So that funnel kind of guides people through the change so that they're more prepared at the end versus starting at the, you know, the lower part of the funnel and then having it you know, shoot through the bottom and you're not ready. So um, it's a process, you know, I like to talk about change as being an art and a science, right? And that's really, um, and in fact, I just literally before this podcast today was talking to two leaders about this at my company and explaining the process and their eyes got really big and they're like, oh my gosh, like we never thought of it that way. The, the art, the, the science is gathering all those change impacts and really getting the details down, right? Because we need to understand what to communicate. The art is knowing when to say what to who. You know, so following that funnel process, it's it's about the timing. So people think um, I'm sharing like our secret sauce, but you know, people people think it's so easy, or they see when change is done well, it's very stealthy and seamless. You know, you don't know we're behind the scenes kind of driving that, but um, really that process kind of guides people through the change at the right in the right way, and it it's a natural way for people to learn. You know, think about anything you learn you become aware of it, right? And then you learn more of the rule, like golf. I know what golf is. I've seen people play golf on TV and now I've learned, you know, I watch golf a little bit. I learned what the rules are. I learned some of the key terminology. Now I might take a lesson, you know, to learn how to swing the club and then I might practice, you know, and then now I'm a golfer. 
but yeah. I didn't just go out on the, well, some people do this, just go out on the course and <laughs> try to hit, you know, and, and they, they hope that they, yeah, they throw their club across the, the green. Yeah. So, you know, um, anyway, I, you know, I digress a little bit. That's, that's definitely a process that I think a lot of people miss. They just go straight to communications and straight to training. And you miss that nuance of the time that you can take to your point with software companies, they could gather all those changes and say, here's what we're doing. We're going to start, you know, we're going to start changing our interface. And over the next six months, you're going to see these new features coming. And then, you know, even if, you know, they don't get to, not everyone reads their emails or reads those messages, but at least they've made an effort, you know, to do that. Sure. (laughs) Yeah. No, it's really interesting. um, Especially that the part that you mentioned about when it's done right, it seems seamless. And it's, yeah. it's almost kind of invisible. And I think, I think about the contrast of that, which is that when it's not done well, things seem very clunky. It feels right. like you're running into a lot of dead ends. And that's something that um, you know, I've witnessed a lot over my career. And this podcast has actually helped me reflect on past projects that I've seen that have gone exceptionally well and those that maybe didn't go so well. And as I think back to the the leadership that was involved in those projects, many times the ones that went well, whether they used the terms OCM or change management or, or had a, a formal you know, change management team or whether they were just good at some following some of those practices um, versus those teams that just weren't, that were just trying to force transformation you know, down the throats of, of the, the people on the receiving end of that and then wondering why, like, hey, the technology works, but still just nobody's using it right. And so you can really see that contrast between when it's done well and when it's not. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, everyone knows what bad change management looks like for sure. But I, I, I don't think people understand exactly what good change management looks like as you're developing it. You know, at the, the end result, they can see, you know, when you're when you go live with a new process or a new system and it goes smoothly and people are trained and they're up and running and they're they're, you know, you have the ultimate utilization of the tool. Um, so people get that, but they don't really understand what kind of goes into that and also what it takes to do that. You know, the resources, the number of people you need to do that because we are, sometimes we hurt ourselves because we're so stealthy and we're behind the scenes. You know, I'm not, uh, I just told these leaders today is that I'm not the one that's going to be presenting to your team, you know, what the changes are. You're going to be doing that. I'm going to be giving you the content to share at the right time. You know, and um, I will share. I once uh, told a leader that we were puppet masters. <laughs> I got a dirty look. I got a little side eye from that leader, and <laughs> I was I was on a panel, and I said, "Well, you know, we're kind of like puppet masters." <laughs> and um, that the look I got was uh, <laughs> not not good. But I like to share it because it made me laugh, and because um, it is true. You know, we are behind the scenes. <laughs> Have changed the way you've described that since then. Uh, yeah, I don't use that as much, but I think from a change, you know, if other change pro- uh, professionals are listening, they will laugh because I'm sure they've thought that before too. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and it speaks to, you know, when you talk about the, the leadership role, um, we actually just had a conversation on our team this morning about the, the importance of leadership and change. Um, we are often very focused on the end users and, and the ultimate um, folks that we're really trying to implement change with. But there's such an important role for leadership, all levels of leadership. And I noticed this particularly with frontline workers. And we've talked about this on a few of the episodes now of the show that the men and women that are in frontline leadership roles, so first-time managers, first-time supervisors, play such a critical role. But unfortunately, in many 
cases, they haven't been afforded the opportunity to really develop their leadership skills. And so I'm starting to see that that's actually a, a point of friction in change management in that we're, we're putting um, a big responsibility or we should be putting a big responsibility to help facilitate change on those, the, the leadership on the front lines. Um, but they, they may not have been in their position for you know, very long. Uh, they may have been a driver or somebody working on the manufacturing floor six weeks ago, and now they've been promoted up into a frontline leadership position. And so they're still in that phase of developing leadership skills, which are so important to this. So I'm, I'm curious, do you have any stories or insights about how to kind of improve that communication throughout all levels of, of yeah, the chain? I, it was interesting on other projects I've had, we, we did a great job with frontline leaders and preparing them. The group that we missed were directors, kind of the, you know, not quite senior managers, you know, or senior leaders, but in that role yeah. where, um, because in some cases, like we were leveraging um, managers, supervisors to deliver training. So they were kind of already involved and engaged. Yeah. Um, so I would say, but either way, I think it's important to look at all levels of management and leadership because they are really the key at whatever level, you know, so right. don't forget about the supervisors. Don't forget about the team leaders, but also remember the directors, you know, or whatever level you have in your organization, right. the team managers, um, because, you know, it does take a village <laughs> for a lack of better term um, to really deliver the message. And um, so I, I think it's important when you think about your stakeholder analysis to think uh, outside the box when you think about the teams. And I do have a good example. It's probably not frontline worker, but I can share that the yeah. good example of a miss that we had on a project. Um, I was at uh, one company I worked for, we were moving people to a new building. So we had, um, we were in a building we had been in for, I don't know, 50 years or more. And that building had an attached parking garage. And it was, um, you know, people parked in that garage and then anyone who was hired after a certain date, you know, had to park at a garage up, up the block. So we had to walk a city block, you know, Columbus, Ohio in the winter is not fun. Um, and so, so there were people who parked in this public garage and then people who parked in the attached. In the new building that we were building, um, one, we were moving to this wonderful location, which was right next to the um, hockey arena and the, you know, all the music venues and the parking garage was also, um, it was adjacent to the building. It wasn't necessarily attached, but there was a walkway. It was probably, I don't know, 200 feet to the door or something. So we thought, okay, we're just gonna hype up the parking garage, you know, hey, it's right there and you can park there during the hockey games and you know, you get, you have a pass that you can use for everything. So we thought we were doing a great job of just telling people about the parking garage. What we found out is that we had this group of uh, resistors who were in the garage that was attached to the building. And now I, as a person who had started with the company later, parked up the street and I'm thinking, wow, this is gonna be great. I don't have to walk sure. down the city block. <laughs> you know, I just have to go under this awning and then I'm in the building. So that example was just like, when you think about your stakeholder group, you could just think, oh, everybody from this building is moving to this building and they're the same. Let's treat them all the same. But the nuance was the people who parked in the attached garage versus the people who parked in the city garage had a whole different view of the situation. And so how do you communicate and sell the idea? So just for example, we got a lot of people saying, well, it doesn't seem safe. Now I have to park in a public garage because that one was public as well. And so we made a video and we actually like drove our car up to the garage and parked. And then we took a video of us walking to the building so people could see how, you know, how long it took and what the walk was like. And um, because these people that parked in the building, 
in the old garage literally didn't have to put a coat on in the morning. You know, they'd get into their car and drive to the building and it was completely enclosed and they'd just go right into the office. Yep. So just a little story for you to think about, because that's something I always refer back to when I give talks on change management and stakeholder analysis is just thinking about that's the nuances that you need to think about with your managers as well. You know, um, how will they maybe see this differently than what you might initially, you know, view? Um, so I, I just think, think about the parking garage. <laughs> I, I, so I know the parking garage that you're talking about. Okay. <laughs> All right, great, good. Yeah, and and, and it, it's actually, it's, you know, it's funny. It, it's, it's funny because I've been in that parking garage and honestly, it's just funny the things that people will find to that that they perceive as friction or they that they become resistant about right there's nothing about that parking garage that should have invoked those emotions but i'm not saying that but did you see the garage they used to park in (laughs) so that that's such an important element right of just that their perspective is shaped by those previous experiences and so for them this is a change for the worse versus other people that this is a change for the better in the grand scheme of things it seems funny to let a parking garage even become any point of friction at all. But, you know, humans that's, are weird like that. That's back to the art and science, you know, because people would never think of that. We do. Change professionals think of those things. And I well, I wouldn't say that. We didn't think of that. We learned about it. But now, you know, now going forward, I, I think I've always encouraged my teams to look a little differently at these audiences to see, you know, where where are they coming? You know, you're sitting in their their shoes or sitting in their seat. Where are they? Where are they coming from and what, how could they maybe look at something that you think would be positive and everyone would love from their perspective, you know, as a, as a change. That's an example of uh, physical transformation. And I'm glad that you shared that when we think of digital transformation initiatives, can can you think of anything that is, is similar to your parking garage example that maybe comes up in the digital world where there are vastly different perspectives of of that change? Yeah. um, And my last, role, we had um, a distribution center where we needed people to scan items more frequently with their Scantron. And, you know, it was going to take more time on their part, you know, the the workers in our distribution center to do that. But what it afforded the company was broader reporting, more data, you know, um, it really had a bunch of benefits, you know, on the, on that end, just from a, a tracking perspective. So, you could think about the frontline worker being really frustrated with, okay, now I have to scan everything three times. Like how, why this is ridiculous where I used to just have to do it once. You're adding so, work. You're slowing. Yeah, you're down. adding work. You're making my life, you know, more miserable, <laughs> whatever the case may be. And so really explaining to the organization, and this is where going back to your frontline worker or frontline manager perspective, having that audience understand because they're the ones that are going to get the complaints from their team members, you know, the team leader understanding the supervisor understanding the value of why we did that um, was super important. So, you know, that's an example of a change that it, it, there's going to be a, with any kind of large ERP, you know, implementation, there's always going to be things that it may feel like we're going backwards a little, you know, you may have a custom, you know, a lot of it, we've done all these custom interfaces. So the tool works exactly the way we want it today. And then we decide to standardize with a standard, you know, application and you come in and now it's all going to be the same, no matter where you sit. So you're losing some of that customization. Um, So we have to know what those things are so that we can then help people understand, you know, the business value. And, and it's still, 
and you know, I'm, I'm an advocate of being upfront and saying, Hey, I know this isn't great. You know, let's just be honest. We're not trying to sugarcoat it. I'm not trying to sell you a lemon, you know, whatever it may be. Um, I think that's to me as a leader being authentic and being vulnerable and just saying, I know this isn't great, but here's why we're doing it. And what is great, you know, are the things that will benefit from that. Um, so I, you know, I, cause I, to your point, like of being that salesperson, you lose credibility if you look like you're spinning everything. Yes. So I think it's super important to uh, not sugarcoat things too much, you know, but also help people see the big picture because we're all here to help our companies, you know, bottom line and uh, become more efficient and, you know, drive more value to our customers. When I said that earlier that I, you know, I think sometimes poor change management may be easier to see. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. Um, I won't mention any proper names here, but I've been through a few examples when I think it was the change was spun to frontline workers as if there was going to be some significant benefit to them. And it just wasn't true. And I think that the, the people in those projects felt that they needed to persuade the users that there would be a benefit to them in order for them to get the adoption that they needed. And, you know, truthfully, it was going to take more time. It was going to slow them down. There were massive and very important benefits to the business if we could get this change, this new technology to be implemented. Um, and I, I, I would take away from that experience, and while I don't want to mention any proper names, I, I don't think the project team gave those men and women enough credit. Uh, I think that they thought that they just couldn't understand those benefits and that they wouldn't comprehend them. And, and I think we do them a disservice by doing that. And I appreciate your comment about transparency and authenticity. I think, you know, if, if we BS those people, they're probably going to find out, they're going to figure it out. Right. Yeah. And so it becomes a very disingenuous way to try to implement change in the organization. And that's going to backfire. And it did backfire in that case. And in this one case I have in my mind, it, it definitely backfired to the point where, you know, workers were just revolting against this change. And so not only did we piss off the users, you know, essentially through that process, um, but actually the, the executives that were trying to implement the change didn't get what they needed out of this anyway. Well, <laughs> you, you, know, lose, so, you lose your credibility. Oh, I, I mean, that's how you lose credibility as a leader yeah. or as an organization, you know, with your team. Yeah. So I do advocate. Now, sometimes I've had leaders say, oh no, we don't want to tell them that, <laughs> you know, whatever the case is. Um, but I've been fortunate enough, you know, and I will say my last, at least my last two companies, but my current company and where I worked before that um, people really understood our leaders, leaders are starting to really understand the value of change. Like I wouldn't be in my current role today if, you know, Clorox didn't realize that the value of having someone in a change role right. uh, when they're going through a large transformation. Um, and so that's been great. But then the next step is when it's hard, you know, when the messaging is hard is taking the advice from the change practitioners to say, hey, we do need to say, you know, we need to be upfront and, and talk about the, the benefits as well as, you know, the downfall or the downside of what we're doing. Um, and, and so we, you know, as change professionals, we do a lot of coaching of leaders and a lot of convincing, you know, back to that sales, <laughs> the sales yeah. role um, to get, because that message still needs to come from the right person, you know, to, for people to have that credibility or to believe, you know, what the organization's doing. So um, I, I think I've been really fortunate to have good leaders like that. That's fantastic. You, you mentioned earlier, um, when to say what and to who. Yeah. And then you also just said that there were some leaders that sometimes said like, oh no, we can't, we can't tell them that. Yeah. Are there circumstances when you think 
there are things that we shouldn't be telling affected users? Are there, I mean, I, I, I kind of feel like I'm asking if there's ever a time when you should not be transparent, even though you're advocating <laughs> for transparency, but uh, I, I don't. Yeah, I do think, um, you know, I've, I, most of my career, I've been in large ERP transformations or large, you know, technology implementations. I'm not an HR OD person. I'll make sure everyone knows that. So don't take any advice, you know, don't take HR advice from me. That would not be smart. Um, <laughs> but um, so, but there are times when you're doing a large transformation like that, that organizational changes come with it. And so the sensitivity around that, right? So you may be reorging or or changing someone's job role or, you know, creating a new COE. So where we don't advocate, you know, where it's, you just need to be sensitive to the timing, right? Of when you're communicating those kinds of changes. Yeah. And it, it does get a little dicey, you know, with knowing uh, the right time because people do hear rumors and they, you know, they see, we've had people work on a project team where they see like they're consolidating their job, you know, they're being a subject matter expert and they can see that this role is going away. So it's, um, the nuance there is helping the leaders of those people, you know, know the timing of when to share, because the other thing that will happen is people will get antsy and leave, yes. you know, if they see that happening. And obviously it may be that, Hey, in the new world, you're going to have a different role. Like you still have a job, but your role is going to be different. So don't panic and don't leave too early, you know, like find out what, what that change is, but you know, you can't communicate those changes broadly um, early, you know? Yeah, that, that is absolutely true. If we don't control that narrative and the timing of that, then people will make up their own narrative. And um, I, I think the tendency, especially with frontline workers, is to assume the worst because I do think that they're on the bad receiving end of things often enough. And there's probably some history. I, I know I'm making a very broad, wide generalization here, but um, I, you know, it's, it's the reason why we wanted to have a show specific about frontline workers and the challenges that are faced with this worker population, because they are often out of the loop on things. Um, they're not sitting in a regional office or the corporate office. They're often in a plant or at the airport or driving trucks. And so they are physically removed from a lot of where those decisions are being made. And I do think that they feel pretty vulnerable uh, as a result of that. And so we have to figure out what's the right communication plan to let them know. And, and I've said this a bunch on the show before, just in other conversations that we've had, that most of the time I've seen the technology implemented that would affect the frontline workers. It's not designed to replace them. It may be designed to get more work done without having to hire more of them. But in very few cases have I seen a, a tech implementation where the backside outcome was to reduce the force, right? To, to reduce that workforce. Yeah. But, but we do, we haven't always done a great job of communicating that to, to those folks. And so their natural tendency is going to be to think the worst. And I don't blame them for doing that. I would, I would advocate for those people to, um, if there, if there is an initiative like that in their organization to raise their hand, to be part of it you know, to like say, hey, I'd like to be a subject matter expert on this project or this process or a trainer, or, you know, let me step in and, and learn more about it. Because um, one, that looks great from a frontline, you know, worker to be, to show that like engagement. Um, but it also shows that their willingness to kind of embrace whatever the change is and, you know, add their two cents and, and maybe move into something new. Um, but I agree with you. I don't, I also think we shouldn't always think that automation means that people are losing their job or, you know, new technology. It just means you're, to your point, you're going to do something different. You know, your job may change, but be open to like learning about what that might be. There's, I, I think there's such a missed opportunity in how we communicate because in most cases, the goal is to take away those menial tasks or manual tasks 
and allow the people to do things that are best suited for people. I think there's a, a very uplifting message that can and should come with that. If we're having that conversation with the frontline workers to say, no, your job is not being, you're not being demoted. You're being elevated your role. We, we want to extract the best of you and the best of what this role can be and put your brain and your heart to work in this job and take some of those, you know, uh, menial tasks of scanning bags or, you know, whatever it is that we're doing, like and automate those processes so that you can interact with the customer and so that you can solve problems and do those other things. And I just, um, I think there's always room for improvement in how we deliver that message. I, I think it can actually be something that can uplift them rather than make them feel like they're on the receiving end of a bad change. Yeah. Yeah. Anytime I, I just always advocate, just ask questions, you know, if you're show engagement, you know, to your leader or, uh, you know, see what you can find out and, and how you can be involved. Cause I think that does help, um, you know, just you you become a part of it versus a resistor of it. But that's where that leadership, especially that frontline leadership, it becomes such a critical element of that because if they don't have an open door, you know, policy for that communication and they stifle that, then it, it kind of puts the, the men and women on the front lines into, you know, into a bad position. Right. And, and that's where I think um, all of us have an obligation to help the frontline leadership. And it sounds like you're already on this path. So I don't, I'm not trying to educate you here. I'm just kind of thinking <laughs> yeah. loud that, um, you know, there's an opportunity for us to explain to the frontline leadership, their role, the importance of their role in this mix. And then if they say things like, oh yeah, well, corporate's making us do this thing, right? They're just gonna, they're gonna stifle the growth on their team. They're ultimately gonna stifle their own professional development. Exactly. And if we can help them understand the value of, of being open to that feedback and to look for those players on their team that are trying to communicate, um, and give them a form to do that, then it, it just makes, I, I, it makes everything easier and everybody could be more successful. Yeah, I'll just say this, you know, a lot of times we resist change because we're afraid, you know, mm -hmm. it's usually, a lot of it's fear-based. So, you know, if you can really look at yourself and say, okay, what is driving my fear to resist, you know, and try to get answers to whatever that may be, or, you know, at least be open-minded to learning more. I think um, just having that knowledge, self-awareness as a leader, that that might be driving why you're nervous because you just don't know, you know, fear of the unknown, um, fear of uh, something different that's coming. So, um, you know, I always try to address like, what's the fear behind the the resistance, you know, what are they afraid of? Are they they're afraid of losing their job or have that conversation? You know, hey, I'm, I see this new system going in. I'm really afraid that once it's in, I'm going to not have a job. You know, help me tell me what that looks like. You know, as you ask your manager or ask, you know, yeah. a, a leader that. And and that requires a certain um, culture around the organization and those teams. Yeah. Maybe easier said than done. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I'm not. I, I'm again, it's, it, I, I think this is what what makes this conversation so worth having is we we can't look at digital transformation as a as a project or a series of projects in a program for IT to push out new technology. It's that is a component of it. Um, but to be successful with these transformation initiatives, we've got to be thinking much bigger picture about the culture and about the communication plans in place to make sure that everybody knows what's coming and why and all, all the things that we've been talking about. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You wrote an article that, uh, I, and we're already coming up on, on time here, so I want to make sure that we cover this topic, but you wrote an article that was published in HR Tech Outlook 
um, that I saw online. And it, you, something that you referenced in the article, I'm going to read this out for the audience here, but it really caught my attention. And I, I don't think it would have caught my attention prior to being the host of this podcast, but I've had the great fortune of being able to interview so many change management professionals. And one of the things I have found incredibly fascinating is the um, just the diversity of backgrounds that people who have ended up in this profession have come from. And so I, I just want to just read out one quote. You said, in the change management profession, many people have experience in one or more of these disciplines, leadership coaching, corporate communications, training and development, process engineering, and or human resources. And it, it, that just really, um, it just made me think it, immediately. I thought of all different podcast guests that we've had that have come from all of those different backgrounds. Mm -hmm. So I think my first question for you is really just, do you, do you think that there are backgrounds that are more suited than others? I mean, just in that list, and there are probably actually more of those. I don't think you were trying to say that these are all of yeah. the backgrounds, right? But are there certain areas of background that you think are just better suited to those types of challenges? Or how would you prioritize the backgrounds and skills of folks that are coming into this profession? You know, I think you can, you can come in from lots of different doors, obviously. Um, I think having more what's important probably is yes, those disciplines prepare you. So my training and development background, and then my um, my training and development background is a little stronger than my communications background, you know, more years of experience. Um, those two things though, really help me um, look at business problems from that people perspective and that end user perspective. But I think also it's having that strategic or systems mindset. And that's one area I always talk about with people who are younger in their career and wanna get into this role. I love systems thinking. So Russell Acoff, um, I, I got to hear him speak and he called, he called himself back you know, like the godfather of systems thinking. I think he's since he, I don't know, he maybe passed away. I haven't looked him up okay. recently, but, um, but he's got some great books out there and um, he, it, learning systems thinking to me opened my eyes to the world of change management and looking at a problem from many different angles. So that's a lot what we do, you know, the, from the stakeholder, the different stakeholder views, the different change in, you know, the way the change is happening in different parts of the organization. So I think um, not only having those kinds of backgrounds, but if you have a strategic mindset, uh, don't get me wrong though, we do a lot of tactical things and operational things too. So it's, we wear lots of different hats, but training and communications process, I've had some great change people who have like black belts, you know, come up through the Six Sigma lean uh, organization or that world. And they are really good. They can be really good change practitioners as well. Um, but yeah, when I look for people, I kind of look at those disciplines to say, okay, we're where have you, you know, got your experience? The HROD side is also super important if you're doing organizational change, right? Like the large cultural changes, I think that is really helpful. Um, not so much as help, helpful when you look at ERP implementations, right. <laughs> you know? And so it all depends on the kind of change that you're looking to, you know, manage. And the, you know, the world that I'm in, this ERP technology, digital transformation world, I'm more of an IT kind of techie, people who know me would laugh at that, right? Because I'm not techie in the sense of an IT person, but I understand their language and that audience. Um, and I like that world, you know, of technology uh, where I know I have friends who are more on the HROD side and they love that world of org transformation and cultural change. So, you know, there's definitely lots of different doors, but I thought I'd write that article because I wanted people to think about as you're recruiting a team, you know, 
how do you build this like good mix of people, you know, to, if, if you get the opportunity, many times the change person is one person, you know, I've been right. fortunate to have these large change teams of people. And those are the areas that I kind of look for. Um, and I just want to get this in there for the change people who might be listening. I don't care about your certifications. Like you don't need to go get a certification. Sorry, you know, for the companies out there that are making money on certifications. Yeah. I honestly don't care if you have a certification. I think it's more about your experience and your ability, you know, to deliver, you know, in these, to do change management deliverables, to have the mindset, you know, um, much more important than having a certification. Yeah. You know, as you were talking through the different roles and backgrounds, it, you reminded me of something we've talked about on the show before, which is that folks in change management are acting as translators and you even talked about this just now in that explanation about just kind of using the language of, of the different groups that you're interfacing with. And so I have a diagram on my whiteboard. I think I've talked about this on the show before, but I have change management in the, in the, in the middle of a triangle between operations, IT and HR and L&D and stuff like that. And maybe it should have four points or six points. I don't know. But the point is change management folks kind of sit in the middle as that translator between Right. all of those other groups, you know, IT has a certain language that they speak and HR has a certain language that they speak and operations talks like they're from another country. <laughs> and then, you know, to, to be able to sit in the middle and, and be the translator and the facilitator for all of that communication going back and forth. That to me is what I've learned. Now, this is, I, I don't know if all the change management folks out there listening are saying I'm, I'm off my rocker here, but that, that to me is what I've learned from you and, and others, mm -hmm. that it's so important for us to be able to talk to all of the stakeholders in a way that they feel comfortable and that they understand. But that doesn't mean that we're using the same words with all of those groups. Right. My boss um, at my current company likes to say we're Switzerland <laughs> and we're in the transformation office, not just change right. management, but we are Switzerland. We're neutral. Right. We sit between the business and IT and, and HR, you know, and we kind of do that translation, like you said. And I, I like that analogy. I like being Switzerland. I think it's a good <laughs> it's a good a good role to play. And it sends the right message, you know, that we are neutral, but we're advocates for the end user. That's right. what I always tell my team. We are advocates for the end user. And that is our number one goal. That's awesome. Yeah. We're, we're coming up to the end of our time here. I, I want to ask you one more question. And, and that is what, what is the contribution that you've made in your career that when you think back on your most proud of? That's a tough one. Um, you know, I hope, I hope that when I look back on my career, it's not about the jobs I've had or the, you know, the, the titles I've held, it's that I've made an impact to the people I've worked with, whether it's coworkers or my team members. Honestly, I thought about that during the pandemic a lot. It's, it's more about the personal connections you make with, with each person that you come in contact with. And I hope I've left more positive feelings and, you know, maybe some words of advice for people versus, oh, that Karen, you know, <laughs> or become a Karen to somebody, <laughs> you know, so I, I think it's really just, it's the relationships that I've built over the years. And it is, it is something that, uh, you know, where I'm at in my career right now, I'm, you know, I'm closer to ending my career than I am building a new career or starting it. I, I hope that that's what people remember me as being an authentic leader, a fun person, you know, someone they like to work with and partner with. And, um, you know, if I did that, then, then I can retire, you know, pretty happy, I think down to Florida <laughs> or wherever it Back may be. Florida. Okay, Back to good. Florida. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. Well, Karen, yeah. Thank you so much for taking the time. I do need to wrap it up there, but yeah. uh, it's been a really, really great conversation. It's been great getting to know you and it's uh, fun to talk about some of the folks that we have uh, in our mutual networks yeah. here. So, um, 
and and to know that some of you have been uh, you know guests on the show together. So this is fantastic. So thanks again for participating today. Thanks, Justin, for having me. I appreciate it. To our audience, I hope uh, you've all enjoyed this conversation as much as I have. Um, please share and rate the podcast. Five star ratings help ensure that it gets promoted to other professionals like you that are innovating on the front lines. Reminder that this podcast is sponsored by Skillful, the mobile digital adoption platform for deskless and frontline workers. Visit the website at skyllful.com. And we're always looking for new guests for the show. So if you or someone else you know is out there innovating on the front lines, we'd love to hear about it. Reach out to me on LinkedIn and share your story. And before I forget, I will make sure that we um, put a link um, in the show notes for the article that we referenced from HR Tech Outlook, Karen, uh, so that folks that want to uh, read that great story uh, can go and find that in the show notes. Great. Thank you. Excellent. Thanks again. Goodbye, everybody.